Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz drummer Joe Farnsworth. He opened up during this odd time on earth with the pandemic and social unrest rampant to talk about his latest 2020 CD, Time to Swing. It was done with the great Wynton Marsalis, Kenny Barron, and Peter Washington. This musician from South Hadley, Massachusetts, has been revered for years for his blazing speed, precision, musical, and melodic playing. He grew up in a musical family and studied with Alan Dawson and Arthur Taylor. From there, it was on to New York City and eventually recording over a 100 CDs as a leader and sideman with the likes of Feroa Sanders, Horace Silver, Cedar Walton, Harold Mayburn, George Coleman, and so many others. He's got an amazing story. Enjoy. This latest album is A+. Uh, oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> hey, so thank you. It's, it's an honor. I've always been a big fan of your, your work. Thank you for taking a minute out to the program. Great. So I guess before we get into the actual artistic construction of this, I mean, you have such a power lineup. It's such a wonderful sound. You got... You, you pay a great respect to Jimmy Cobb, but I want to start out with this strange, surreal world we live in and releasing an album during a pandemic. Any ambivalence, right. any thoughts on that? Well, obviously, when I did it, I, we had no clue that this pandemic was coming. I think, I can't even remember when we did it, to tell you the truth, but maybe it was November. I didn't have an idea what was going to happen, but I did have an idea of what I wanted to do, and it's, uh, it's you know, it's... Uh, Timeless. It's, uh, it's really about the Good Shepherd and the Good Shepherds in my life and in the jazz life. And that's why I wanted to pay homage to them and the people that helped me Harold Maber and George Coleman, uh, guys like Barry Harris, Cedar Walton, McCoy Tyner. These guys need to be revered. And there's younger guys that are still alive that, uh, that we need to recognize too, like Mr. Kenny Barron and and people, so I think sometimes people take Wit Marcellus for granted. So he's just there. It's almost like taking Art Blakey for granted. Oh, he's great, but I mean, he's really great. You know. So I just thought that uh, you know this this goes in any time, I guess. And so it just came out at a weird time. But here we are. Well, I guess that's the nature of good jazz is that it's just timeless. You know, the sound, the way that it's presented, all of it's timeless. But my question to you during the construction of this album, you know, you've been around almost as long, if not as long as these other cats, and you mm -hmm. wield such a, a power over the world of jazz. What do you learn from them, even at this time, from someone like Kenny and Winton, when you get into a studio, what do you still learn as a human being from those humans? Well, it was amazing, both of them. This is the first time I've seen Kenny Barron a million times. This is the first time I played with him. My brother went to school under his tutelage at Rutgers, so I would see him and mention my brother, but this is the first time I'm really uh, being next, that close to him. And uh, what I learned from him is uh, how just very calm he is and how his brain is totally open to the world around him and music. It's not locked into a certain thing. You could play anything, and uh, I just couldn't. He was, he was like you know one of those old school guys who was there before everybody else was, and uh, he did his. You know, we played the take. We only did like one take on each tune. Uh, what was what? It wasn't a learning experience. I mean, it was a learning experience. What wasn't was that it just reminded me how these great people, like every tune he played or 
if he was going to the bridge or the chords or the tunes, you just knew it was going to be perfect. You knew it was going to be right. A lot of times that's lost because a lot of guys don't know a lot of, uh, like many uh, of the great American songbooks. So you just knew it was going to come out great. Wynton Marcellus comes in and said, he's, I, I love what he does. This is what I like to do. He comes in. He said he was going to be here at 2 o'clock, uh, recording at 2 to 4. And he comes in at 1.50, takes off, he says hi to everybody, yeah. hugs, takes on his trumpet, boom, recording at 2. And everything was a first take. He's done. He did his work. He, did, he played perfectly. Time to go. No BSing, no wasting time. I love that about him. There's no like, hey, let's come in and talk about the stuff and, oh, hey, why don't you warm up or get a sound check. I mean, his sound is already there. You have to adapt to him. So I, I like that he cuts out a lot of the nonsense. That's, I mean, I love that. A lot of people don't do that, and that's what I love about him. You know, you said at the top that, that you just mentioning Whitman, just kind of the perception of him. He's so good. He's so diversified. And, and that's the thing about you guys. All of you guys in the studio, you're such torchbearers for the mm -hmm. history of the idiom, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I, that, that's just, to me, covering this, this art form, that you, all, all of you guys in that room carry so many stories and so much weight to the younger cats that, that are coming up in jazz. Well, I mean, I learned something, well, from George Coleman. George Coleman shoots from the hip. When you play with George Coleman, it's not like, hey, what's the set list? What are we going to play? It's nothing like that. Actually, he'd be mad at you. Well, you just wouldn't, he wouldn't be mad at you. You just wouldn't ask him. You get up there, and it's, it's so exciting because you don't know what's going to happen. And that's what he brings to the table. And, like, so you have, if you have a gig with, like, Gary Bartz. Now, see, Gary Bartz has played with everybody. Now, why would I tell him, like, hey, this is what we're going to run it down, ABC. I like to see what he brings to the table and, and use his experience. And same thing with, like, Kenny Barron. Now, he's sitting there warming up on Star-Crossed Lovers, Billy Strayhorn. I would never have thought of that. <laughs> so that's like when you get a genius like that, that's what they bring. You let them do what they do. Give them the palate. Give them the, um, you know, the the uh, palette to uh, paint whatever they want. And then you just try to support it. That's what I love, man. I learned that from, like, Billy Higgins. Let, them, let these great people do what they want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, periodically over the years, I've been doing this since 2011, I'll ask a musician, mm -hmm. how healthy is jazz? And I've realized through the, the volumes of interviews I've done since mid to late March when COVID-19 hit, I don't ever have to ask that again. Because when I ask just one musician, the amount of gigs and projects and things that have been put on hold, it's unbelievable. Right. Well, I remember uh, someone asked the great Cecil Payne, my buddy, in this video, like, can, uh, can jazz ever die? His answer was, you can't kill a piano. And <laughs> that was crazy. Because <laughs> you can't, because uh, there's music always going to be through that piano, the songs and all that stuff. And, and that's what the guy's like, okay, yeah, man, I mean, Eric Alexander and I, like, back in 87 when we met, and we're studying, we're, you know, we're trying to get with Harold Mayburn. And we always used to talk about, man, one of these days, there's going to be a time where these guys won't be here. George Coleman, Jamil Nasser, Cedar. And we always used to talk about it, so, we, had, so we, we, we could enjoy it then, every time we were with them. 
And um, so now, I mean, all these, most of these guys are gone. Jimmy Cobb, just, you know, these guys have died. It's, and it's devastating to us, but they passed on, like, such deep roots to us that guys, well, geez, I, I hate to even say it, guys like me and Wenton and guys our age have to uh, step up and, and I guess assume the, the you know, the, 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 the mantle, you know. We have such reverence for them, but it's, 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 jazz is too strong. It's, it's, too, it's too much culture. It's too much feeling. It's too much love in there to ever. It's suffering, but it's, 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 they're very strong, very strong. But you all are masters of improv, and this time in our life for just being a human is being improv. It's almost as though this time for you to digest and to, and to bring this out to some creative way is almost made for you guys. I mean, in all the realms of art. You know, there's all different kinds, but you all are thrown into the unknown on stage and come out with something beautiful every time. Right. I was talking to my good friend Spike Wilner about that, the owner of Smalls. And, uh, you know, with New York, especially with uh, the scene. And, I mean, for 40 years or 30 years of our lives, we just came to New York and kind of just have taken from New York. We've taken uh, going to Bradley's and listening to uh, Kenny Barron or Barry Harris. Or we, we've taken going to see McCoy Tyner at the Vanguard. We take from uh, Art Blakey at Sweet Basil's. Just take, 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 take. And, uh, and you know, and, and New York City offered everything to us. And now it's kind of hurting with the, the older people not around and the clubs sh- sh- kind of shut down. So now it's like a real time for us not to become despondent or despair, but really with great confidence give let's let's start giving back to the city of new york you know yeah just think of how much those guys gave to us from new york city they moved to new york city they stayed here barry harris george coleman you know joe chambers they all lived in new york city art taylor i mean they made their home so it made it a greater place for us to learn and now we have to get now the city suffered we have to give back that's for sure without a doubt so how did a kid from South Hadley, Massachusetts, born in the late 60s, you have four brothers, come from a musical family, how did this become you today? Uh, it's fairly simple. My father's a music teacher. He's still alive and well. And uh, I, I, I grew up in the room with my brother David, who's uh, who was a drummer, and he still plays fairly well. He doesn't play, but when he does, he's like, he, he likes to play like Grady Tate. He's a very smooth timekeeper. So I stayed in his room, and he had a beautiful set of drums. And and when he went to school, before I was even in school, he'd say, don't touch my drums. And then I'd watch him walk down the street. And when I couldn't see him anymore, I'd jump on the drums. And then that, that just led to uh, listening to Count Basie and Sonny Payne and Buddy Rich. And that, ever since then, I was off. The other room was my brother James, who played with Ray Charles. He was listening to Sonny Stitt and John Coltrane. So that was that room. And then the other room was my brother John, who played trombone then, and he was deep into J.J. Johnson and Clark Terry and those guys. And so each room was like it was like a different club. It wasn't 52nd Street; it would be 23rd Street, 23 Hadley Street. So I wasn't I didn't grow up on 52nd Street, but my the, the top floor of my house was like three nightclubs. So I just go to each club each night, man, and hear the different music, and then. Just playing that time on the cymbal, it was like a party to me. It, it felt so good. And then I just kept listening, listening, listening. Then it really clicked when I got to New York. 
I mean, I got to William Paris, and, and I started taking the lessons with Arthur Taylor. And that's one of the first things he said to me is, I love playing the ride cymbal because it's like a party to me. I said, oh, that's what I've been thinking my whole life. But he expressed it, and, uh, and that, I was sold ever since, you know. You know, you right now with the absence of live music, and you were just talking about the allure of New York, and you've been on so many stages, do you, do you ever think about any magic moments during this absence of, of being on stage that really kind of make you smile or make you think, man, I can't wait to get back at it? Uh, there's definitely two, and it's from, I think about, and it's from the, well, there's like, there's two moments that you just, I just popped in my head. One was July 4th at Central Park, and it was McCoy Tyner. I'd been playing with him, and then I'd stopped playing with him for like five years, and, and then I came back. It was my first concert come back. It was McCoy Tyner and group, and then it was Ron Carter's group, and it was Roy Haynes' group. Now, this must have been, let's say, six years ago. It was pouring rain, and then while I played with McCoy, the, the skies opened up and the sun came out. And it, it was like God was there, and I just couldn't believe I was on the drums at Central Park with McCoy Tyner. And then I think about his last time we played with McCoy at uh, Blue Note, and this goes back to giving, like giving instead of taking, and he was and he was smiling because he was so happy to be there, and you know he was whatever had a little struggle playing, but it, 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 just to see him get on the piano, and he talked about we are so happy to be here, and, what, and he could easily said everyone was there to see him, he, he said we are so blessed to be here. It's so nice to be able to sit here on this panel and smile and play with these guys. And I couldn't believe that the great McCoy Tyner was saying this because we're giving something, instead of, oh, I'm going to ride McCoy Tyner's coattails, we're giving him some pleasure. I, I never would have thought that before, you know? And that, that I missed that. And, uh, and the, I always also thinking about Cedar Walton and then when he'd play a solo, you know, his head's down and he had perfect posture. And then after he hit, his finished his solo, he had like a, like the last four measures. He played like some chords and hit like a big chord at the very end and look up at you with a big smile. I, I, I miss that. I miss that sort of thing. The camaraderie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you've been at this for a long time, 100 plus CDs, been all over the world. Mm -hmm. What do you like the best about being a musician? Definitely the camaraderie, the feeling of jazz. Uh, I love uh, playing with people. I, lo I love playing with great people like Harold Mayburn. I love, uh, you know, when Harold died, I couldn't, I, what I missed the most was that when I was with Harold, he brought me back to like Memphis in 1948. And, and he brought me back to a different time. And I miss I miss being around him and guys like that. I miss being around McCoy Tyner. I miss being around uh, Junior Cook, Cecil Payne. I'd be with Cecil Payne, and he's talking about Lester Young playing with Count Basie, and his father brought him to the you know his first gig in like 1942 or something. I, I miss the deep history of these uh, being around these people. So it's really the camaraderie, the fellowship, and really just I miss. You know, because swing is what connects us. And, uh, and, you know, you can swing by yourself, but the, how you swing with other people, it's not, it's, it's not ego and it's not 
you have to be selfless, you know. You have to you have to play to support them. And I love that. I love playing to support George Coleman, those guys. Sorry so, for the long answer. <laughs> no, 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 that's great. No, that's wonderful. Um, you know, when we do return to the stage and the fans return back to the crowd when this is all said and done, what do you hope we all realize about this absence of live music? Um, well, I guess you don't take it for granted. I think you have to treat it as a gift. And, uh, and like guys like McCoy Tyner and um, Cedar, it was never about them, but it's about us, us being the people on the stage and the people in the crowd. So there's not like one's more important than the other. It's, it's the we of everything and, and being connected. Uh, I would think, I would think that some of the, uh, I would leave it like that. Yeah, I would say that. So after all of this time and, and, and all of this jazz mileage, everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but you mm -hmm. are living your life. Who do you think mm -hmm. you are? Woo. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you the truth, uh, Kenny Clark and his book, they asked him what his toughest gig was, like you almost kind of mentioned. And he said, finding my role in life. And, uh, and it was a, a heck of an answer, and, I, and it hit me deeply because that's the same thing for me. Uh, I, who I am, I would be like, well, first of all, I'm a, first and foremost, I'm a father of three boys, 15, 13, 11. And, you know, they're going to online school because of the pandemic. And, most of my heart and attention is, is directed towards them. I, I, I hope they can get back to semi-normal life. So that's a lot of it. That family is really shot up. I mean, it's always on top, but since everything has stopped, it's really become that much more important that to focus in on them and slow down. And I'm, I'm not going away for a gig. I'm there for them every night. So I would say being the father of those three is most important. I really... Uh, being someone that God would be proud of, trying to, you know, glorify him with, with my life and, uh, you know, try to do the next right thing. And um, it's, it's difficult sometimes to be a leader because you kind of are out in the spotlight. But I think I have to try to do that because I, I think most of the greats who did that. I liked being, you know, like I said, I love being a sideman, but I think... Sometimes you just got to step up, you know. So those are really the main things, those three. Right on. Joe, hey, thank you for opening up. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the album and the return to the live stage. Hey, thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest drummers in Boston, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Joe for his class, time, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.